Amen. You have a seat. Let's behold them together. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. If you have a Bible copy or you can Google it real quick. Isaiah chapter 40. We are continuing, continuing our series in, in Christmas and how Christmas is God's great rescue mission uh, unveiled for us. Why did this baby, uh, why was this baby born? What does he have to do with God? And, and what does that have to do with hope at Christmas? And I want to acknowledge for all the hope and festivity and the, and the joy that comes around the Christmas season, for a lot of people, it's actually not that joyful of a season. It's a really difficult and challenging and, and discouraging time. Uh, because of trauma that people have gone through, uh, whether broken homes or loss of a loved one or uh, mental health issues, a loss of a baby, uh, someone suddenly lost their job and they feel that added pressure to provide for their family and buy gifts. And it's a really difficult time of year with all the emphasis that can be placed on this one holiday. And I want us to be mindful of that because it's hard sometimes to see the hope in life through those unmet expectations, through the broken hearts. There's no joy in my house because of, and, and maybe you're here this morning and, and maybe got some joy, but, but also a lot of heaviness too. Got a phone call, got some bad news. Uh, someone that you love and you care about, um, gone or struggling with something. And I wanna take us to one of the most incredible chapters in all of the Bible. Because the people of Israel were in a similar situation, a season of brokenness and darkness, and, and surely there's no hope to come. We certainly don't see it coming down the bend. And God speaks into that and promises hope, hope to a weary people, hope to a broken and sinful people. When we needed him most, God brought hope at Christmas. Man, I love Christmas. Not for all the festivities, although there is a place, but because no matter where you're at this morning, in a season of brokenness, in a season of fullness, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christmas applies to you and offers all of us hope. So let me read for us those first five verses. Could keep going through the chapter, but you, you all know I like to talk. Okay, so I had to limit myself. Let's look at five verses because in there is the hope of Christmas that we need. Isaiah the prophet reveals from the Lord this, this, this saying, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, and her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand, double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Now, a lot of that might not have made sense to you, and that's why we want to emphasize and set aside time in our worship service for the preaching of God's word, to understand who God is and, and what he wants from us. But that main point, hang on to that. When we needed him most, God brought hope at Christmas. So background to this passage here, the book of Isaiah, which is a very long book, but a beautiful read, because in this book is woven really a, a couple of themes, and they all center around God, who God is. He is just, he is holy, he's righteous, he's pure, he judges sin, and what is sin? It is whenever we, uh, we break God's law, we think, we say, we do something that goes against his nature and who he is and who he made us to be. God is just towards sin, and the first 39 chapters of Isaiah were for the most part talking about this problem of sin and what it's doing to Israel and the judgment that God is going to bring because they were living in rampant sin and disobedience to God. They had broken their agreement to follow God. He was the, supposed to be their one and only. They were supposed to love him with their whole heart. They were supposed to follow his ways and they promised, yes, God, we will do that. We'll do what you say. And the second things got comfortable for them, they walked away from him. They thought, oh, I, I built this house. I planted these vineyards. Things are going well at the business because I'm working hard. They, they took all the credit for themselves and they said, you know, that, that God guy. Maybe, well, they didn't have Christmas back then, but you know, maybe at the holiday seasons, we'll talk about God a little bit. But he really doesn't have anything to do with my life. And so what happens there's consequences for that way of living. So now their, their vineyard is not so fruitful. Now their houses are, are being barricaded because the enemy is at the gates. And they're about to come for their, for their wives and their children. It's, it's doom and gloom time. And Isaiah prophesies and says, God says, repent from your sin, turn from your sin, or judgment is at the gate. You will be carried off into Babylon. Yeah, you guys have heard of Babylon. That great nation from ancient days. This is about 8th century B.C. A good reminder that Christian faith is rooted in history. And he's writing to the kings of Judah, to the people of Judah, saying, repent. You don't want to be carried off to foreign lands. You don't want to be defeated. You don't want to see your, your, your sons killed in battle. Turn from your sin. Come back to God. This is what's going to happen when you don't. So after 39 chapters of that fierce warning... This is what's going to happen, people. It might be two centuries away, but it's going to happen. And first of all, we see God speaks up. After all this doom and gloom, he said he consoles his disobedient people. I don't understand God's grace and love towards us sinners, but he's a loving God. And he speaks consolation, comfort. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. That's crazy, because Israel's been so disobedient, and I don't know about you parents, but when a child is being disobedient and really rebellious, that's when you, you kind of di distance yourselves from that child. I don't know who that kid is. You know, why are they throwing such a tantrum in this restaurant? Who's, who's this kid's parents? You know, or you look at your, you look at the spouse and you're like, hey, you know what your kid did? <laughs> like, there's that, there's that distancing. And uh, if you don't have kids, I'm sure you, you, you see that around and, you know, or on TV. Israel's been terrible. They want nothing to do with God. They don't love him. They don't worship him. They're literally worshiping and serving other gods. 
And yet he still says, you're my people because I have made a promise to you that I will be your God, that I brought you to this land to take care of you and to show through you my glory, my beauty to the other nations. I have not forgotten my promise. So even though you are acting terrible, you need a spanking, you're going to get it. You're my people. So comfort, comfort. There's that double emphasis, that consoling, like a loving father. He doesn't distance himself. So you're my people. I'm your God. Even though, wow, you, are, you have forgotten your purpose and why you're here. And, and he uh, speaks through a prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah is speaking to Judah. Judah, who got comfortable, who they had their security in their city walls. And he's saying, I'm going to take that away from you. But it's because if I don't punish that sin, you stay in that sin forever. And when you die, we are apart forever. I love you too much to just let you ruin your life that way. And our family is watching that new, uh, new Santa Claus series on Disney+. Plus. We, we really like Tim Allen as Santa Claus. He does a really good job. He's, he's my favorite Santa Claus. The Santa Claus isn't real. He's in the movie. So Tim Allen's my favorite Santa Claus. And we were watching that new series, The Clauses. And in the final episode, I won't spoil, I won't spoil who it is and what, what happens, okay? You watch it. But, but there's a line that Tim Allen says. He says, you know, your daddy's not a bad guy. Sometimes daddies just lose their way. really touches me, you know, and it sounds good, you know, you're not a bad guy, you just, you know, you kind of lost your way a little bit, hey, sorry Santa Claus, the Bible tells us the total opposite of who we are and what we deserve because of our issues internally, Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so is there a naughty and niceness at Christmas? Not in God's eyes. There is God's people or those who are rejecting God and living in their sin. That's it. I don't have any goodness inside of me. Yeah, sure, there are people who are who do good things and good acts, but God didn't create us just to do some good things. He created us so we would wholeheartedly, with our whole heart and being, glorify him to speak truth, to show love, to keep his word, to walk in his ways, to multiply disciples on this earth who will praise his name. That's why he created us, and we said, no thanks, we'll do things our way. We'll kind of figure out goodness apart from God. It's impossible. And that's why we needed a Savior at Christmas, because we're sinners, and we're stuck in our sin, and I can't do enough good things to get myself off the naughty list. I'm, I'm a sinner. And it's like God is talking to a grieving family at a funeral home. That, that's the kind of tender terms he's using. Comfort, comfort. Come alongside him. I'm crying with you because I'm with you in this mess. Your sin caused it, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm coming down by your side. And I'm going to speak tenderly to you. Verse 2. And he tells Isaiah the prophet, hey, speak tenderly to my people at times. I know you want to smack them. I know you want, you want to yell at them. It's easy to tell people, you know, you should go to hell. Because, frankly, we all deserve to be there. You know? So it's easy to, in a moment of, of self-righteous indignation, tell someone, go to hell. No. 
Even God says, speak tenderly to the disobedient. I mean, they're trapped in their sin, and they can't find a way out. Don't you have some compassion? God certainly does. And here's why he speaks tenderly, and, and here's the comforting news that he brings. First of all, he says, well, our translation in the ESV says, your warfare is over. Another way that could be translated, it might be kind of better translated in our mindset, is your strife is over. The striving, the fighting, working hard to try to get out of the situation and the mess that you're in. Guess what? I am going to provide a way out of your strife. It's coming. Strife is over. God is saying in the future, it's as good as done because I'm the God of the past, present, and future. I wasn't born on a timeline like you all. I wasn't born at all. It's as good as done. Strife is over. He's speaking grace over us. He also says, your iniquity is pardoned. Pardoned. Like amnesty is given. Which is something that only a gracious God would offer because we certainly don't deserve to be pardoned for anything. We've sinned against the holy God. We've broken his law. We've cursed his name. I won't ask you to raise hands, but I know we all have at some point in our life. At least once, you've cursed the name of God. Probably multiple times. And how many times have you told a lie in your life? Even if it's only once or twice, you've broken God's law. Stolen something? Only once or twice. You're a thief. We all have broken God's law, and yet he offers us forgiveness. He says, I will provide a way where all of your sins can be covered. I can remember all things. I got, I got knowledge like you wouldn't believe. I'm omniscient. That's one of the attributes of God. Know who God is. He knows everything. He knows what you're thinking even right now. He knows what you're thinking last night, a week ago, a year ago. He knows you. And despite all of his knowledge for all that you've done or will do, he offers a free gift of forgiveness. And then he says this. She, Jerusalem, has received double for all of her sins. Now I'll tell you what we deserve double of. And it's not forgiveness. But God offers double the mercy for our sins. In other words, no matter how much you sin and mess up and curse God and hate his name, you could, you could kill Christians with the edge of the sword like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And God says, if you repent and turn to me, I will cover all of your sins so much, it's like they're covered twice over. It's impossible to say someone has sinned too much. God can't forgive them. Actually, God can forgive them twice over and then some because that's who he is. He doesn't have limits on his grace. We do. God does not. And how, what does he do? Turn over a couple chapters to Isaiah 42, 16. He says, I will lead the blind in a way they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. The rough places I'll make level. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. The story of Christmas is that God gets the final say. Into the brokenness and darkness of this world, a light has come. God gets the glory. No matter how how jacked up this world is from all that we've done. Dustin Benge, uh, a pastor, said this, The birth of Christ 
means that God refused to leave us in our sin. He's on a mission. He will not be stopped because he is an amazing, loving, beautiful, eternal God. But how does, how does he break through into that? He speaks. God speaks. He is the eternal word. When he spoke in creation, there was life. And now he speaks good news. In fact, if you look back at Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, verses I did not have time to cover in their entirety, you will see Isaiah talks about how the grass fades away, and that's what the human experience is like. We're here one day, we're gone the next moment. Life is brief, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's eternal. And through his word, God proclaims good news. Look down at verse 9. That's exactly the term that's used here. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. And what are you saying at the end of the verse? Behold your God. God speaks so that we know him, so that we look to him. We can have a relationship with him. We can have forgiveness. I'm sure you've met somebody. I, I've met plenty that say, I don't know if we can actually know who God is. You know, I, would, I might could agree with you if he hadn't given us his word. He's spoken. So you and I don't get to decide who God is. Or this is what I think God is like. Or, like McDonald's, pull up to the drive-thru. I'll take a God that's this with a little sign of that. No, he's spoken. So you either believe it or you don't. But don't make up a God in your own image. Because I'm warning you, that leads you to a place you do not want to go. Listen to the good news that comes. And I know you guys know these verses from Christmas. Luke chapter 2. The good news comes to a group of shepherds keeping their flocks by night out in the field. They have no clue probably much about God or, or you know, what's the proper way to, to worship him. But they could listen. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Skip it down to verse 14. The angels say, and they sing together, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God speaks good news to show how beautiful he is and to change our lives. The word of God is the power. So this morning, I'd like to ask you a question. You have to raise your hand or nod your head or walking out this moment, but have you heard the complete good news of Jesus before? God created you to know you and love you and have a relationship with you. And yet the first man and woman turned their backs on God and said, no, thanks. We want to do things our own. We want to be like God, make our own decisions. And sin entered the world. Now we have hate. Now we have terrible anger and fits of rage, and we have um, um, fist fights and, and, and gunshot victims and suicides and depression and dark. All these things came about because of our sin. But Jesus came, God in the flesh, to live the perfect life that we could not. And he offered himself up on the cross to pay for all of our sins twice over. And he rose from the dead to offer life. He says, I am the living word. Whoever believes in me will live forever. Do you believe? Have you 
Turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. I invite you, even this morning, do you see how much God loves you and what he's done to win your heart? And if you are in the church, if you are a follower of Jesus, if he's changed your life, then you understand what a gift we have right here. This is the window by which we see the glory of God. Any time, day or night. If it's on your phone, I know it's with you day or night. Anytime I can open it up, I can see who God is. That's something that most of the people in all of human history have never had. Any bit of scripture in their house. We have the whole thing. We know how it's going to end. But I need to run to the word. I need to meditate on the word. I got to let the word soak into my heart because it changes me. The good news of Jesus is all throughout the pages. It's all about Christ. Give him the glory. And we all need to grow in our understanding of the Bible. That's why we offer our small group so we can understand and discuss and apply the word and help each other grow. And, and then when you go out and share that word with someone else, you know what you're talking about. It's not just the pastor who knows the word. We all need to know the word. Our God came to show his glory to you. You can join the men's group, the women's group. Start a one-on-one -on -one discipling um, uh, relationship with somebody. Get the word together. Discover God for yourself. Because point number two, we see that the whole earth will see the glory of God. Undeniable, unmistakable. You see that in verses three through five. Because the first two verses explain hope is on the way. Verses three through five explain how hope arrives from heaven to us. Verse three, a voice cries out, prepare the way of the Lord. Talks about the highway for our God and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So in case that didn't help us understand, let me make it clear. God himself is coming. Remember, this is Old Testament looking forward to the birth of Christ. Hope is coming and it's God. So prepare a highway, not just for a messenger. Prepare the way for God. The king of the universe is coming. And that's, that's um, uh, a very purposeful analogy used here. Because in the ancient days, if your city finds out that the king is coming to visit your city, and you know you've got a bunch of debris on the road from the last storm that came through, you know that the, the, the spring river washed out part of the road, you are going to hightail it over there, and you're going to start fixing those roads because you want the king to come to your town. What would we do if we knew God? wanted to ride in here and be with us. I, I'm pretty sure I would give up everything just to see him, just to get a glimpse, to be in a crowd, in the back of the crowd. I'm tall, so I can be in the back of the crowd just to get a glimpse of his face as he walks by. What would you do for that? God in the flesh. That's what he's promising. But not just so you get a glimpse from afar, so you can come near. So he can change your heart and your life. Because when we see his glory, we are changed. In the Old Testament, appearances from God were rare. And he spoke through his prophets. He didn't just talk to everybody. We, we didn't have access to him that way. But Jesus came as the final, ultimate, great prophet. So we can talk to God all the time. His spirit is within those who have received him by faith. So don't come up to me and say, hey, pastor, tell us what God said. 
Tell us what God said. I'm not, a, I'm not an Old Testament prophet. You all have the same word I do. I might have studied it a little bit longer. Might have taken a few classes on it. So, sure, okay, I might be able to help you with some interpretation and clarify some things, but, oh, man, you don't have to go through another human being to hear from God ever again. It's a direct relationship because he is coming to us. And verse 3 tells us even the terrain will be changed supernaturally. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places leveled out. For those of you that have ridden a motorcycle, you know, even a little bit of gravel on the road can make a big difference. He says, even those little rough places, I am making a way. I am coming to you. Nothing is stopping me. There's no pebble in my shoe. I'm coming. Every mountain will be lifted up. He's rearranging physical, geographical, spiritual obstacles. I don't, I don't understand why, why it's so difficult to believe in the virgin birth. If you believe in God, that he created everything out of nothing, he spoke it into existence. Is it really that hard for him to, to send his son and his son is born with God as his father and Mary as his mother? Nothing is too hard for God. Of course, if, if you don't believe that God created all things, I've got a lot more questions for you. Like, how do you believe in, in order or, or laws of nature and physics? It's more clear to me that God created a world in which these laws operate, that he can choose to rearrange them versus we're all here from random chance. I just don't buy it. And John tells us, who is an eyewitness and friend of Jesus, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I lived with him. I lived with Jesus. I saw what he did. I heard the message that he shared. He made the lame to walk. He raised the dead to life. Why on earth would I give my life to this if it's not true? Why would I? 11 of the 12, no, I'm sorry. 10 of the 12 disciples died a martyr's death. And with their dying breath, they proclaimed Jesus as the risen Lord. You explain that to me. John does. He says, we saw the glory of God. Where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to believe in? It's Jesus. When we needed him the most, he came at just the right time. So we glorify him. As believers, we glorify him with a view of what he's done birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, he's coming again. We live in light of that, and so I want him to glorify himself through me. Jesus, here's the stage. Here's the microphone. Speak through me, Jesus. I don't even deserve to be in the same room as you, so please work through my life. And as you mature as a believer and follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit works in you, now even my language changes. When I was a baby Christian, I used to ask, hey, what can I get away with? And like, you know, still be on God's good side. <laughs> Been there? Yeah? Like, what can I get away with? You know, let's have a little bit of fun and Jesus at the same time. And as we grow, we realize just how sweet and beautiful Jesus is. Life his way is the best way. He doesn't hold anything good back from those who love him. Oh, then it's not what can I get away with, but what gives God the most glory? What's going to make Jesus look good? That's what I want. Literally, my desires have been changed. Another miracle, the working of God in me. So I want to resist sin. I want to resist temptation. 
I want to tell people the good news of what Jesus has done in my life because the king has come and the whole world will one day see that if they haven't already. Here's the final thing we see. Hope-filled people, hope you're one of them. Hope-filled people are humble people. When we're told to prepare the way of the Lord, we're acknowledging he takes center stage, not me. I play a backseat role, and I'm okay with that. Because I never loved somebody so much that I was willing to die for an enemy. I never loved somebody so much that I was willing to give up my one and only precious son so that they could be in my family. This is completely countercultural to us. This is crazy how much love. I can't even put words to describe it. He's there for us. So we're told in verse 9, I referenced it before, Zion. It's a reference to the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, God's collective people. Hey, go up on a high mountain. Yell it out. Say, behold our God. So we're not looking to climb up a platform and make a name for ourselves. We climb the mountain to make much of Jesus. It's not, oh, I'm influencing people to like me or, you know, I hope they come to my church. And I would love for them to come to Living Hope Church. Y'all are wonderful people. And we're on a mission to pursue Jesus together and devote ourselves. It's a wonderful church. But you know what? It's not about us. It's whatever God wants. It's his plan. It's his mission. We're just joining in with it. But I hope you do notice here and all throughout scripture, God addresses his people as a unit, a family, a body, a holy city, a temple. We don't do this individually. It's not like, hey, I saved you. Now you just go off as a loner and you know, kind of share the good news as you go. No, he's saying together as a collective people of God, shine the light so people can see the love. They can hear the truth. They can understand my word for themselves as they hear it over and over and over and they try to live it out together. We are the people of God. And you know our three core values. You should. Jesus, community, mission. There's no mission without community. God calls us humble missionary people in our daily lives to tell others about him. We can do that together in a God-glorifying way because it's the gospel at work in us and through us. If you need an example of humility, look at Christmas. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. They were related by blood through their mothers. And yet, John understood his role in all of this. It's not about me. It's he, not me. You can see that in John 3, Mark 1, Luke 1, Luke 3, John 1. He's a fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah. John was the one who went out in the wilderness and prepared the way of the Lord and preached the gospel, or, or, or what he knew of God's plan up to that point. And he invited people to repent. But the moment Jesus shows up on the scene, he steps aside. Jesus, here's the microphone. This has all been for you. Such a humble man. Do I try to hog the glory when the spotlight belongs on Jesus? Pride is going to be my downfall. And when I'm proud, I keep other people from seeing the glory of God. Because my head's too big in the room. Small heads, big hearts. That's what I pray for. Living Hope Church is not the goal. Josh Comas is not the ideal. Jesus is our Savior. He's our Lord. We're impressed by Him. And as we devote ourselves to Him, 
God uses us to prepare a way in Sarasota for people to come to faith in him. It's amazing. God wants to use us. And there's people in this community that don't even know that there is a God that loves them that much. They think Christmas is about Santa Claus and gifts. Man, who's going to love them and tell them there's so much more to this? So much more. And it involves a little bit of bad news. We needed a Savior. Yeah, we're sinful. We're broken people. We're going to live in eternity in hell apart from him. But he came to give us life. So how can we, as a church, show the gospel? One way we're going to try to do that is with our community Christmas service on Tuesday night. I invite you to be there. Again, we're going to share the good news of Jesus. We're going to open up the word of God that is life. And we're going to love people with our lives. We're going to build relationships with them. Talk, show them the love of God. Not just talk about it, but show them the love of God. Do you know right now we're doing that? By you showing up to worship today, you're helping us proclaim the glory of God. You're saying Jesus is better this morning than anything else I had going on. And I get it. You know, things happen. We're not always able to be here every day. Work schedules are different. There is real life. But when we're able to, we choose to make that decision. I'm going to glorify Jesus this morning. I'm going to do it with Zion, <laughs> with the people of God. What am I going to do? We do that in our normal rhythm, serving, growing, worshiping. I want to introduce a new way that you can help us consider showing the gospel as a church. We are going to have a membership lunch and learn on Sunday, January 15th. After our morning worship, we'll provide lunch, and we'll give an opportunity to talk about formalizing this body of believers in a covenant together. Why? Because it's not about us. That's what a lot of people get wrong about membership. Oh, is membership like this thing you just added because you're trying to like clutch on to people? No, it's actually us all coming to the table and saying this is about Jesus. We want to commit to letting him work through us so that future generations can come to Living Hope Church and hear the gospel. If we all just go our separate ways, who's going to hear the gospel through Living Hope Church? Who's the church? Who's, who's the shepherds? Hey, let's let's come together. Let's talk through what this could look like in a, in a kind of a formal covenant agreement where we say that's it we're going to do it together and if we want to show the gospel as a church then that means we need to prepare the way we need to remove obstacles that keep people from understanding the truth about god so are we making ourselves accessible to unbelievers do you have friends that don't know the lord do you take time to get to know them to hear their objections perhaps to christianity or, or things that they've seen or, or problems that they've had with the church in the past, don't blow them off. Don't say, oh, just get over that and just have faith. There are some valid, legitimate criticisms of the church out there. I've seen hypocrites. I've been yelled at by Christians. My parent was supposed to be Christian. They abused me. This is real life. We hear those concerns and we care and we say, hey, Look at the Bible. That is not true Christianity. We need to be able to acknowledge that and confess, hey, we as a church have not done a good job of loving our neighbors throughout history. But by God's grace, there's forgiveness even for us, and there's forgiveness for you. The gospel brings hope even to someone who's been burned by Christianity. But we've got to know the word. have got to know the word so you can share the word. So gather together, study the word, let him grow you so you can share him with others. 
And here's the last question I want to ask you today. Who can you show God's comfort to this week? Who needs comforting? Maybe it's you. You can sit down with the Lord yourself and let him comfort your heart. Focus on an attribute of God. God is loving. And meditate on that all throughout the week. And look at all these verses that have to do with God's love. But God is comforting. God consoles. God cares. Look for the hurting people and come alongside them. Look for the people who are hungry and needy. They don't have enough food to eat. Maybe they don't have a roof over their heads. They don't have a place to go for Christmas. You go down the list. There's a lot of needy people in our area. I just talked to a lady on the phone from an organization called Dora Pope. And the fostering need for children in this area is great. There's kids that don't have a home for Christmas. They're just kind of shuffled around from place to place because no one will accept them permanently. Who, who's going to pray for them? Who's going to love them? Who's going to care for the orphan? The body of Christ needs to. And this Christmas, when you're either around your tree or reading the Christmas story or exchanging a gift with somebody, take the time to ask them, have you read the Christmas story? Do you mind if we go to Luke 2 and we read the Christmas story together before we open gifts? I think it'll add a lot of value to what we're about to do. You can share the hope with them. Because our God brought us hope when we needed it the most. God consoled his disobedient people. That's all of us. The whole earth will see his glory. That was the second thing we saw. And thirdly, if we accept that hope for ourselves, hope-filled people are humble people. I think we know what God's called us to do this week. However he calls and leads you this morning, I want to encourage you to respond. If it's receiving him, accepting his gift of salvation by faith today, I want to invite you to do that. You can talk to God right where you're seated and give your life to him. If you've already given your life to him, I encourage you to ask him, how can I grow, Lord? How can I love more? How can I show the hope this Christmas? And thank Jesus for this amazing gift.